When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. This is the podcast where we talk about Star Wars stuff, but right now there's only really one Star Wars thing that's captured everyone's attention. Season two of The Mandalorian, which uh, debuted late last week. Uh, as always, this podcast is always going to be a conversation between me and one other person. It's the Rule of Two. It's a Sith Master and a Sith Apprentice, and at the end, either... The Sith apprentice overthrows his master or his master kills his apprentice and finds a new, stronger one. Because I'm not very good at booking guests, today's apprentice is the producer. It's Anthony Mays. Mays, say hello to the people. This is the way. There it is. Uh, So before we get into episode nine, which is basically episode one of season two, Mays, uh, do you want to share anything? thoughts any recapping thoughts of season one because you and i never actually talked about it uh during last season's run of darth amin's rule of two season one was a lot of fun it the show kind of revealed what it was doing along the way and i think by the end they'd really locked in on a good dynamic you know once we had established that it's like lone wolf and cub and kind of just going to have a different adventure every week it could be very different tonally it could be very different structurally but the core of mando and the child baby yoda or what was your name for it yiddy yiddy yeah mando and yiddy 
yep. their journey around the universe. You know, I went back and I rewatched the whole first season. And one of the things uh, I gained an appreciation of is they really have a lot of Easter eggs in there, man. Yes. There's a lot of Easter eggs. But also, um, like you, I kind of like the second half of the season better. I thought early on it was a whole lot of just introducing characters, introducing this guy. Each episode was introducing a new character, and some of them obviously – exists solely for that one episode and some were recurring characters and when we got on the back end we got more of a cohesive a cohesive story having said that i'm looking at season two and the start and i'm thinking to myself okay like i like i liked episode nine i like this first episode uh and like every other episode of the mandalorian there was a bunch of easter eggs in there uh the quick recap is obviously mando is searching uh to return the child to its people if you've watched the trailer for season two you've heard him say one of the coolest lines i think i've ever heard in star wars you want me to return this creature to its people a race of enemy sorcerers (laughs) Uh, the one of the things i love about this show is the incomplete knowledge that people in the outer rim have about everything right yeah jedis are just a rumor they're just a myth i mean for some people it's not even that right like for mando literally has never heard of jedi never heard of it he's never heard of the force the force was a a revelation for him and then like the only people with insight again kind of like these bits and pieces rumors um, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you watched Clone Wars, Maze, the last season of Clone Wars that came out on, on Disney Plus earlier this year, but there is an episode where Ahsoka falls into like the underworld, the literal underworld of Coruscant, and realizes that not everyone thinks the Jedi are great. <laughs> like regular citizens are like, the Jedi are awful, they're corrupt, and they're you know they're the problem basically um and it it's really good writing because it's it's kind of parallels a little bit of of what's happening in real life when you think about people who fear science or fear like oh they just want us to put on masks and get vaccinated so that they can you know sterilize us or whatever it's like what are you talking about man you know i i have to listen to ti talk about if you drink hot tea it'll stymie coronavirus in your throat, which is where it starts, and then wash it down in your stomach where the stomach acid will take care of the rest. And I was just like, what What the fuck are you talking about? And so there's a level of that in in Star Wars where not only are the Jedi in some, in some places, like in, in the case of Mando, just not existent or not even on the radar, but in other places... You know, it, it, they don't look upon them fondly. They don't look upon them as as a, a source of order or peace. They look at them as kind of this bad syndicate of people who are kind of running the universe, running the galaxy. Um, did you enjoy the scenes from after the Death Star exploded where people are all watching it on hologram on repeat? Oh, man. Oh, that was so funny. It was hilarious because the fact that they just kept rewinding it and watching it again. And again and again. And, but then 
it makes sense again that you have a uh, a mining guild like instantly instantly like they didn't give them a second because they think about this most icely under the empire wasn't exactly under control right exactly yeah well i mean java was a huge factor in that as well he had his own operation going kind of parallel to the to the empire but i did love that i loved the mining unions like oh time to rise up time (laughs) time to take moss pelgo yep they didn't mess around at all did you know maze that moss pelgo has been like so many things in this episode that were literally not created i did not i mean i never heard of it before is it in like the novels because i know that uh one of the characters comes from the novels it's from one of the oldest Star Wars video games, Star Wars The Old Republic, in the expansion pack. Oh, Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Eternal Throne expansion pack. It was mentioned. <laughs> you don't even go there? <laughs> even the game doesn't take you there. It just mentions it. Again, shout out to Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau. They re- I mean, you know, a lot of that is Filoni. He just, he's just a master. He, he's so smart about everything Star Wars their ability to kind of cram in as many little things. Like anytime they have anything that happens anywhere, it's not by accident. It's not, you know, ah, let's call it Miles Felgo. Like, no, we got it. We got it. Like it, it came from somewhere, which is to me, all, all my favorite Star Wars stuff are the ones that really pay attention to canon. Did you like Timothy Oliphant, who I feel like has been a recurring character on Cinephobe, even though we've never actually done a Timothy Oliphant? Oh, Josh Duhamel? Yeah, yes. Right? I see it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, he does look a lot like Josh Duhamel, like a more charming version. Did you like him as Marshall Cobb Band? Timothy Oliphant is having quite a moment, kind of like how Sacha Baron Cohen had Borat and Trial of the Chicago 7, Timothy Oliphant is on Fargo right now as a Mormon U.S. Marshal, I believe, who eats carrot sticks. (laughs) That's his little tick. And then he's also in this episode to kick off season two of Mando. And he is just doing his justified character, but he's damn good at it. (laughs) And so he was perfect. You you can't can't argue with the results, man. If I need someone to play it. The law in a lawless sort of area. I'm getting Timothy Oliphant. By the way, the character he plays, Marshall Cobb Bent, first introduced in the novel Aftermath, in which he was a sheriff on Tatooine. Again, not a character they created for the show, but a character they plucked out of somewhere else in Star Wars canon. We see Vanth when he walks into the bar, and he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. Right, he's got the he's got the helmet, he's got the chest plate and the shoulder plates, and I'll be honest, at first I was like, oh shit, it's Boba Fett. And then I was like, wait a second, why does Boba Fett have a turtleneck on? <laughs> I don't think that was, I don't think a red turtle, a red furry turtleneck. I don't think that was part of his original costume. And of course, we find out when he takes off the helmet, <laughs> sounds any kind of like existential crisis that of course he's not Mandalorian. In which case, Mando demands the armor. Aggressively, yes. Mando is not pleased. (laughs) Give me that shit back. This is after he already beat the shit out of some people at Gore Koresh's fight club. That scene. Oh, yeah. By the way, you know who Gore Koresh was, right? Who played Gore Koresh, right? John Leguizamo. 
John Leguizamo. Continuing the Mandalorian trend of taking these famous people and they make them unrecognizable. <laughs> it's pretty cool. By the way, Gore Koresh is an Abyssin. And if you are thinking, where have I seen Abyssin? In A New Hope, when Luke and Obi-Wan first meet Han and Chewie, they walk into the cantina and an Abyssin was there. He kind of goes, oh, he's got, <laughs> he kind of turns and looks somewhere in the direction of the camera with uh, and yawns or makes some sort of growling noise. That character's name would, was Mayo. But, you know, that's what I love about Star Wars. Like, anytime you see people walking in the street, they don't have a, a speaking line. They're all named. They all have backstories. <laughs> it's just, you know, are you going to sit there and read up on it or not? But yes, uh, at the Space Fight Club where we see Gamorreans fighting and those guards from basically from Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi, that's the Gamorreans. We see uh, Mando fight a Zabrak, basically the same species as Darth Maul. Now, I don't know about this. Maybe you know, uh, Maze. When Leguizamo's character is tied up, and Mando shoots the light out. What are those creatures that come out? Uh, I saw that in uh, one of the Easter egg things, but I, you know, I, I wasn't going to write down every creature name. I'm impressed right. with your ability to name some of these races already. But there is an extensive list, like every, like you said, every single creature or alien has a story, has a name, <laughs> even right. if they don't address it. It's such a rich universe. Mando uh, aggressively asks for the armor back, which is weird because if you think about it, Boba Fett's not Mandalorian. Right. But it is the most iconic use of the armor Yes, for most people. Boba Fett's not Mandalorian, and neither is Jango Fett, the, the person who he was cloned off of. Jango Fett wasn't Mandalorian. And matter of fact, the Mandalorians didn't really like Jango Fett because I, I believe he swindled his way into getting them to give him some Mandalorian armor. Yeah, that's probably a good story, how he got that armor in the first place. Yeah, how Jango got the armor? I've, I've read it before. It's like, it, it, basically, they weren't cool with it. They were like, this guy's a little bit of a con man or whatever. Cobb Vant says, I'll give you the armor if you help me kill this crate dragon, which has been terrorizing their mining town of Mos Pelgo. If you think, hey, I've never seen a crate dragon before. Yes, you have. Maze, do you remember where we saw a crate dragon in Star Wars canon? It was sitting in the desert of Tatooine in A New Hope. That's right. And it's actually one of the many abandoned props that's still there, I mean. Still where? In the Tunisian desert. Oh, Wow. That must be so weird for someone who stumbles across that. Yeah. yeah. Like, holy shit. What, what have I come across? Fun fact. Do you know how they shoot the Mandalorian? Have you ever watched those uh, how those uh, making ofs? I haven't watched it, but I know that it's this cutting edge, basically super advanced green screen, which is that they're actually projecting the terrain like live so it's not even green it's they're walking in like a hologram they call it the volume and what it is is a, an immense large curved digital screen it is the largest curved digital screen in the world and what they do is when they want for instance we're riding the the uh, speeders across the tatooinean desert 
they basically program the screen for a picture of the landscape. And then those guys get on the speeders and then the images move across the screen, giving the illusion that they're traveling. So what they're actually doing on the ground is like they throw some dirt and dust on the ground or whatever, and then they just run the run the tape. And so they're able, they talked about like a lot of times when you shot in green screen, you would do stuff, but you wouldn't know how it looked until later on at the end of the day when they start to digitally impose that stuff. Now the directors are able to see in real time how it looks and they can adjust lighting and they can adjust the, some of those set dressing on the floor or even the camera angles. And so it gives you a lot more flexibility on how you can shoot these things and a lot cheaper because you're not doing a whole lot of post-production. You're seeing it real time. Like you got the camera, I look on the monitor and like, yep, it looks how I want it to look. Or no, we need a little bit more lighting here, a little more lighting there. And so it, it really allows them to do these big kind of operatic landscape shots without going on location and without the cheesiness of, of green screen. And it looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's <laughs> like amazing. The results are just mind-blowing. Favreau said that's one of the great things of working on Star Wars is you get to create how the next generation of filmmaking is going to happen. In the same way that Lucas, when he did the prequels, he did it digital. He shot it all digital. And that was like the first major motion picture to go that way. Yeah, and people were pissed at him at the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it didn't look great. It's that Mickey Mouse money, though, I mean. Yes, it is. We find out how Cobb Vent got the armor. He got it basically uh, by bargaining with the Jawas for a Camtono full of silica silicax crystals. Jawas love that shit. Yeah, they love that shit. We see Tusken Raiders. Uh, by the way, did not know this when Obi-Wan Kenobi scares away the Tusken Raiders in A New Hope he does it by making a crate dragon call oh wow crazy right <laughs> they've never liked crate dragons ever yes that's always it's been a, it's been a yes it's been a while and they they like they hate it uh we find out that the crate dragon ate the sarlacc well or did it uh he's living in an empty sarlacc pit and it's possible that he ate the Sarlacc, but it's possible that the Sarlacc got dispatched another way, which we'll talk about later on. All right. So there's some good foreshadowing there. Even though you probably watched this episode already, you know what we're talking about. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play along. We'll play along. So we've got a beef between the Tusken Raiders and the residents of the mining town of Mos Pelgo. Uh, Mando negotiates a tenuous peace between the two peoples so they can join forces to kill this crate dragon. And predictably, the, the way they do it is by Mando being swallowed by the crate dragon and just blowing his way out, which reminded me, Maze, of Land of the Lost. Oh, that's a great point. It also reminded me of when the Millennium Falcon blasts its way out of the space slug. Oh, that's right. Yes, on the asteroid. This episode also reminded me quite a bit of the way that uh, episode four, chapter four, Sanctuary was structured. That's where they have to protect the village from the right. the raiders and they take down the Imperial Walker. It's like getting the town to band together to take out some large force. And it's a very like Western motif. Yes, absolutely. I did enjoy, by the way, the, the plan itself of, you know, drawing the 
Kray Dragon out and then shooting the harpoons and then, you know, everyone just throwing shit at it and shooting yeah. it. <laughs> it was not going well. <laughs> and then Mando just did his thing. One of my favorite parts of the episode is where he's talking about how the Tusken Raiders have studied its it's like eating sleeping cycles and they keep it fed so it sleeps longer and da 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 and he puts the the, the banta the banta uh you know the big pack animal and the guy starts running away and the dra- the dragon literally just says fuck the fuck the pack animal yep. I'm going to do and and Mando watches it happen and he says I think they might be in. open for new ideas though like <laughs> just the way he delivers that line is just priceless it's so deadpan but so perfect so necessary. Long story short, you guys know this. Uh, there's no real uh, Easter eggs here. He gets swallowed. He blows up. The thing explodes. Everyone's happy. The, the Tuscan Raiders get their, they pick the, the bones off. I guess they pick the meat off. And the pearl. Oh, yeah. The crate dragons are known for their very extremely valuable pearl, which can sometimes be used to create lightsabers. Oh, really? I did not know that. I think it's also from uh, Knights of the Old Republic. It's like an item that you could get. A lot of Easter eggs from the video game that, by the way, isn't canon. They, I think they, they deemed it to be uh, Expanded Universe or Legends. Pretty cool. That- well, is this kind of like the certification? <laughs> is it like we took this from Possibility and now that it's in Mando, it's real? Yes. So they've done this before where they will mine the Legends universe for stuff and then once they use it it becomes canon but only comes canon within the context of the canon thing that used it so they'll take that for what it's worth the last part of obviously is we see a mysterious figure watching kind of everyone disperse and all and over the two suns sunset which of course is iconic on tatooine and the mysterious figure turns around and it is a bald disfigured middle-aged Boba Fett? Yeah, it's uh, the actor who played Jango Fett in the prequels to Murrah Morrison. Yep. And he has ditched the Mandalorian armor, and he's got kind of more like a desert shaman look going. And did you notice that he had spurs, I mean? I did not notice that he had spurs, but if that would make sense, and it reminds me of the episode, the last episode that we had on Tatooine, The Gunslinger, where we saw a mysterious pair of spurred boots. Uh, at the end of the episode, standing above the dying body of Fennec Shand, if I'm not mistaken. So, Maze, how do you feel about Boba Fett being alive, surviving the Sarlacc pit, albeit without his armor? So that's what I was teasing, is that it's possible that he killed the Sarlacc. I mean, it would make sense. How else would he... To get out. How else would he survive, right? I think that was pretty much what everybody was clamoring for during... Season one was people were wondering about Boba, wondering about the timeline. You know, we don't have that many ties to the original trilogy to cling to. So this is really the the biggest one. But him not having his armor and ditching the iconic look and and wandering the desert, like he clearly, clearly has some shit going on. So, I don't know. I mean, is he just they're probably just going to fight. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me one of the things that's I'm going to be interested to see how they reconcile this is why didn't he just like he must have known about Cobb Vance, right? Yeah, does he want the armor back? Is that what's happening? I don't know. I don't know. That that's the part that 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 makes me kind of scratch my head. If this is this is indeed 
what he's after. I mean, why else is he just, or is he just like, oh, that's cool, another Mandalorian, or, a, or excuse me, a Mandalorian, <laughs> fucking fraud. <laughs> <laughs> what other, you know, possible interests could he have in this whole this whole thing? And also, why is he still living on Tatooine? Because at this point, this is what three years after Return of the Jedi. He's really let himself go. This is a. He's kind of washed, yeah. Yeah, man. Like three years later, he's like you're all fat and bald and stuff. <laughs> I mean, Boba is one of the coolest ancillary characters from the original trilogy, and we got a little bit more about him in the prequels, like his youth and his dad. But we really don't know much about this dude. <laughs> they they have actually Clone Wars has a lot of Boba Fett. In it. Okay. Like teenage Boba Fett. Angsty teen Boba. Oh my God. So whiny. So <laughs> whiny. It really makes him dying, or I guess not dying, but when we thought he was that, it really hammers it home. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad this motherfucker went down like that because this dude was whiny as fuck. One of the cool things about Clone Wars is. A lot of it is there's a lot like a big chunk of like seasons three, seasons four, that's about bounty hunters. The whole the, like a lot of the show is bounty hunters. There are a lot of bounty hunters, and that's where you see Bosk and you see IG88, which is the you know the robot, yeah, that the Taika played. And my favorite one, Cad Bane, who like wore a hat and had a toothpick in his mouth at all times, <laughs> right? But he's like an alien, like it's it's weird, um, and Boba Fett trying to like break in into the bounty hunters guild and not having, you know, enough sway. And so he has to do more and more daring things to basically get his rep up. Yeah. Like people always say, Oh, we should get a Boba Fett movie. Like we got like, it was covered. Trust me. It's been covered in a lot of detail in, uh, in clone wars in much in the same way that people say, you know, what'd be nice if we had like a, a Darth Vader movie. I'm like, they have it. They're, they made six of them. They're called <laughs> Star Wars, right? Like, that's all about Darth Vader. It's not, I don't know what you thought it was about. It's not about Luke Skywalker. It's about the the rise and fall and the eventual resurrection of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, Josh Trank was supposed to direct the Boba Fett movie, and then he he failed so epically with Fantastic Four, and then they just pulled the plug on the entire project. Must suck. But Mando has kind of turned into the the only successful thing that they've really done. Like, I mean, obviously the last trilogy made a ton of money, but I don't think anybody really looks at it that fondly. No, no. But I'll tell you what, you know, the success of Mandalorian has made it so that what was supposed to be a spinoff movie is now going to be a show. And it's the Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Yeah. And they got Ewan McGregor to, to commit. So that's big time. I think I think that's going to be a, a, a just a massive hit, um, and I think if you get like I think what I found is at least from my perspective, when you get people who really give a shit about it, you get good content. On that note, Maze, have you ever read the original script for Episode Nine? I have not. The first draft of this script is so amazing. It, it, it makes you angry that this isn't the movie they made. So in the original script, Kylo Ren is searching for Sith artifacts. And so he goes to Mustafar, to Vader's old castle, to look for holocrons. The whole time, 
Luke Skywalker's ghost is just there taunting him, like just basically haunting him the whole time. And Kylo Ren starts to go insane, right? Meanwhile, Poe and Finn steal a Star Destroyer. It's a really bizarre story, but it, it works so much better. It just makes a lot more sense. And so what the biggest change was them like retconning in the Palpatine stuff? Yeah, yeah. They like and making Kylo Ren become a good guy and yeah. you know and making Finn basically just a, a guy. And like you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just it kind of just falls apart. And it felt like Reddit service. Like they were just trying to make people on Reddit happy. And Ray turns out she's actually somebody. Oh. And her and Finn, and uh, what's his name and Kylo, they become lovers at the end, right before Kylo dies. Right? Yeah, you know. So it, it really is disappointing. I I, I know uh, the uh, the very popular YouTube account Star Wars Theory actually took an excerpt and animated it, and it's so fucking badass, man. When you watch it, you're like. Where was this movie? It's the part that he made, he animated was Kylo and Luke. And just Luke just on his ass the whole time. Couple more little notes from this episode. So we also got another appearance from Amy Sedaris's character, Pelimoto. Yes, he did. And Mando is, seems to be softening in his stance towards droids. He allows them to work on the ship. Yep. We also have R five D four. The astromech that Luke originally picked over R2-D2 in A New Hope yeah. that's hanging out with the Jawas. Yeah, and then they get fucking bust. And they're like, ah. I was like, what about that one over there? And that's how he gets R2-D2, which He's is... got a bad motivator. I remember um, doing a pod episode with uh, Pablo Torre and Freddie Prince Jr. and marveling at how much stuff happens in Star Wars Simply by fucking accident. Think about this. This astromech has a distress message from Princess Leia to Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's living in anonymity on this remote planet in the Outer Rim. And the only hope that this message gets to Obi-Wan is because another droid went bust. And C-3PO said, oh, you should, you should get my friend over there. And that's why. Like, the amount of luck... That like is needed. Like the force just kind of happens, right? Like <laughs> the force is just like, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna make this shit happen because otherwise, it's like, what if the other one doesn't bust? But that's the force. That's the beauty of it all. I know, but it's just like C3PO didn't even know. Nope. He he didn't know there was a message. So that shit was all like a a a, a surprise for him too. You know, that's again, that's the beauty of the force, as you said, is that shit happens, right? <laughs> The force, sometimes the, the force just makes shit happen. Did you recognize Cobb Vance Speeder? Yes, it looked like one of the speeders from from the pod races in Phantom Menace. It looks a lot like Anakin's pod racer engine, one of them. Was it? The same structure. It's got a red panel on the side, so it's kind of been, yeah. you know, like updated or modded, but the, the yellow, like, tips over the engine are just like Anakin's. Didn't Anakin's have like two en twin engines though? Well, yeah, but it was just one of the engines. Oh, he's on, he's riding on one. Yeah, there you go. The bartender, the Weequay bartender in Mos Pelgo is another actor from Deadwood, W. Earl Brown. So him and Oliphant hanging out in the in Mos Pelgo, Deadwood. Very 
nice reunion there. And then uh, there's the moment in the battle sequence when Mando hits Cobb's jetpack. And he goes flying off through the air, which is just like when Han Solo hit Boba's jetpack yeah. in Return of the Jedi. Boba goes flying off and then crashes into the, the barge and then falls into the Sarlacc pit to his not-quite-death anymore. Closing thoughts, Maze, on this episode and where this season is setting up to go. I think the highlight for me was the fight sequence. It's like the music got me really pumped up. And then, you know, we settled into kind of another, like, bottle episode of sorts out there in Mos Pelgo. It was longer. It was like yes. 54 minutes, which I'm into. I'm into as much Mandalorian as possible, but they definitely couched Baby Yoda a little bit, you know, like Baby Yoda moments I'm sure will be a plenty, but... A lot of reaction shots. Yeah, just cutting to Baby Yoda and he's, you know, he's there and his crib is a little more, <laughs> more dope this time around, but... I'm happy it's back. I mean, it's it's a very enjoyable, watchable show. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see where they go with the story and who some of the other writers and directors are this season that they go with. Well, Maze, you did a good job. You brought a lot to the table. Unfortunately, as I said, so a master and apprentice, and always two, and never more. Nevertheless, and I'm going to have to kill you and I'll have to find a new apprentice for next week. I can pay! <laughs> what was that about, man? I'm like, yo. <laughs> wait, like, now you want it? Like, that's your answer? That's all you gotta do is just hang somebody upside down, man. Flip it on its head. This has been Darth Amin's Rule of Two. Thank you for liking and subscribing. As always, thank Ferric, everybody. Mm-hmm.